as you probably will know, if you've been around for a few weeks now, uh, that over the summer we're taking a break from our studies in the letter to the Hebrews and following this short series called Growing Together. The New Testament is clear that it's God's intention that every one of his children uh, should grow, developing clo a closer and more mature relationship with him. And we do that fund fundamentally through studying God's word and prayer and generally presenting ourselves personally to God. And to an extent, we can make some progress in that by disciplining ourselves to do those things. However, there is another dimension to our spiritual growth um, that is stressed over and over again in Scripture. It's exactly what the title of this series states. We are called to grow, and we are called to grow together. Now, you can take that two ways, actually. One is to say that we are all growing spiritually, and we are doing it as a church. We are growing together. <laughs> And we can also take it to mean that in what we do, we are getting to know each other better and consolidating the relationships we have. If we study God's word and pray together, we will grow closer to each other. Owen helped us to see that in the first Sunday in this series when he talked about the, the nature and function of the local church. And then in his second talk, uh, he underlined the importance of discipleship within the life of the church. Today we're going to look at another element in this process of growing together, and that's serving. In the New Testament in particular, we are taught that the church, the body of Christ, is fundamentally instrumental in our growth spiritually. We need each other. Both Paul and Peter stress that strongly in their letters. And I'm going to focus on a couple of passages in those letters that make it very clear that serving one another plays an important role in that growing process. I've got six sheets of paper here, but don't worry about that because the print is very large. <laughs> so the first of those passages is in Romans chapter 12. It's a great passage, so helpful in this particular context. Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to read from verse, verse 1 down to verse 9a. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. What becomes clear when we read passages like this one is that we are not called by God just to be spectators. Rather, we are called to be servants. Now, That can sound like a foreign language to people living in the West in the 21st century. We don't talk much about being servants. That sounds like something out of a bygone age when people had servants. We are more likely to hear people talking about promoting themselves, making a name for themselves, uh, stating their rights, and, if anything, expecting other people to serve them. However, when it comes to the life of the church, within the church of Jesus, we find a different ethos, a different way of approaching life. And this can require a revolutionary change in our way of thinking and acting. We discover from God's word that church is not the place where I listen to sermons, but the place where I serve. We are meant to be contributors rather than consumers. And this will mean giving, as I read this, just works out, no, all begins with the same letter. It it means giving time and talent and treasure for the health and growth of the church. Now, we probably know all that. We're familiar with this, at least in theory. But what can be missing are deep motivation for this kind of commitment, this kind of committed, long-lasting service. So I'd like to draw our attention to at least three things that we need to be motivated by. Both Paul and Peter 
make this clear in their New Testament letters. So we'll begin with this one in Romans chapter 12. Motivated by the mercy of God. In Romans 8 verse 29, we learn that we are being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. We are to be like him. Jesus said that he came to serve, not to be served. And when we look at his life, and particularly at the cross of Jesus, we see the perfect example of selfless service. Paul has something of that in his letter to the Philippians, and chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. Again, a familiar passage for us, but it's good to look at it. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort... I, I think I've read this differently the last few weeks as I've looked at this, but I think what Paul may be saying here is if there's any encouragement in what we see in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit that we see in him, any affection and sympathy that we see in the way that he lived his life and dealt with people, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, being like Jesus, thinking and acting like he did. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Paul is just holding Jesus up as the perfect example of someone who totally gave themselves himself to for the benefit and good of others. So when Paul writes his letter to the Romans, and in chapter 12, having laid out in chapters 1 to 11 the wonders of the gospel that we have heard and benefited from, benefited from the mercy that God has shown us through Jesus, he goes on to say, therefore, present your bodies as living sacrifices to God. He's saying, so he's, he's exhorting us to live in view of God's mercies. He's saying, when you think about what Jesus has done for us, how he has given himself for us, he said, by the mercies of God, I encourage you, I exhort you 
to present your bodies as living sacrifices to God. We are exhorted to live in view of God's mercies. We are inspired by Jesus' kindness and generosity to commit ourselves to God's worship and service. He says, service is our, it says in this translation, spiritual worship. In other translations, it says our reasonable worship or our rational worship, or our logical response. In other words, he's saying, if, if the one we follow has given himself totally for our blessing and our, our benefit, then the, the most rational response, the logical response, our spiritual response, is to do what he did, to be like him. A living sacrifice. This involves, of course, singing God's praise as we've done this evening, but it involves much, much more. Committed to a serving attitude in every part of life. This, he says, is holy and pleasing to God. This is an amazing thought. The God who created and sustains the universe actually gets pleasure when we offer ourselves sacrificially in the service of his church. Having said that, he gives us a few hints as to how that can happen. How can we be that sort of person? So he begins by saying, well, don't conform to this world. Uh, J.B. Phillips um, translates it as, don't let the world around squeeze you into its mould. The mould of the world around us, where we live, is essentially selfish. It's self-centred. It's all about me making progress, me doing, getting all the best out of things that I can get. So Paul is saying here, don't, 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 be squeezed into that way of thinking. Instead, Paul says, be transformed. Be transformed. Have a change of orientation in your life. Our minds need to be renewed. Filling our minds with the truth of God's word. Let, let that renew your thinking, change your thinking, change your attitude, change your orientation. Um, so there are a couple of verses um, worth reading. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Let, let the word of God, not just, you know, not just like a daily reading, you know, just like something you read and then forget it. Let it dwell in you richly. Let it shape the way you think. Let it shape your attitude towards life and towards other people. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt from deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds 
and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. All this is so that you, as he says in Romans chapter 12, you, so that you may dis- discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So to sum this up, this being motivated by the mercies of God, ponder what you deserve. You know, what does the Bible say that you deserve, that I deserve? Well, we deserve the wrath of God. We deserve to be separated from him forever. That's what we deserve. But the mercy of God has come upon us and to us. God, by his mercy, has saved us and forgiven us. And as we ponder what we deserve and what he's given us in place of that, this should stimulate a life of worshipful service. So that's the first motivation, motivated by the mercies of God. Second um, motivation, I think, and this is by no means a comprehensive list of motivations, but number two is motivated by the gifts of the Spirit. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So here's, if you can understand Paul's previous life before he became a Christian, before he was saved by Jesus, he was, as he calls himself, the chief of sinners. And he said, God has given me grace. He's given me undeserved gifts. He said, and by by the gracious gifts that he's given me, I say to everyone among you to stop thinking the way you would naturally think and start thinking a different way. He says, think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that the Lord has assigned. So the first thing Paul says after exhorting believers to have a renewed mind is to not to think too highly of yourself. Meaning, we should think accurately and in view of reality. Sober-minded, he uses that phrase. Tim Keller, in one of his books, says, we need to acknowledge what we are good at and what we can do. Because doing this makes us able to serve others. So soberly assess yourself, look at yourself and say, well, what are the things that I can do? What are the things that God has given me that I can do? And we are, he goes on to say, we are to think straight about ourselves, neither too high or too low. And Paul goes on to say, each according to the measure of faith that God assigned. So this, this refers to the different spiritual capacities that God apportions to each person. 
The fact that God distributes spiritual gifts to all his children. He's given a measure of grace and faith to each member of the church. So we shouldn't be looking around and saying, well, yeah, I can see what that person's gift is. She's very good at that. You know, that's clearly their gift, you know, but I don't, I don't think I've got anything, really. I, I don't know what I've got. Has, I got. has God given me a gift? Well, the Word of God says he has. And it's for you to be sober-minded in your assessment of yourself to find out what is that, what is that gift that he's given. And he's given a measure of faith with which to use that gift. The belief that God has given me this gift and therefore I need to use it in a way that pleases him. The other, I said that at the beginning there were two passages of scripture that came into my thinking while I was praying and thinking about this today. The other passage that I think is helpful in this context in, in addition to Romans 12 is 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7. He says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. That doesn't mean, you know, if you're not self-controlled and sober-minded that God's not going to hear your prayers. It's just saying, let, let this assessment of yourself, this truthful assessment of yourself, let that fuel your praying. God, what have you... I know what you've done in my life. What have you given me? What can I do to serve you and worship you? What can I do? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter is saying here what Paul has said in Romans, but gives us just a slightly different view of it. He tells us that each believer has been gifted, but having been given gifts and abilities of some sort, we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves, but rather be humble and faithful stewards of them. So, where have we got to so far? We've got so far to say... God has been so good to me. God, by his grace, has given me eternal life, but he's also given me the means with which to serve him. And I, I need to be taking a, a reality check with myself as to what he has done and what he's given me and how can I use that, not just for my own benefit, but for the benefit of others. Back in Romans again and elsewhere in his letters, Paul uses the illustration of a human body to explain 
how every person within the church is to function. Just as a body has many members that each carry out important functions, so does each local church. We are diverse. We thank God for that, don't we? That, that you're not like me. And I don't think I'm like you either. <laughs> you know, we're, we're different. We're not, there are similarities. But, but our, the, the sort of character, the nature we've got is, is different. The way our, our experience in the past, the way we were brought up, the things we've learned along the way and so on, we're, we are diverse. Each member is unique and important. But we are also different in the things that we are able to do, things that we have learned naturally, natural abilities, natural skills, but also things that God has directly given to us that we can use within, as well, within the church. So he, he calls us to use our gifts with excellence and with passion. Peter breaks the gifts down into two main categories. He talks about speaking gifts and serving gifts. Speaking gifts, he says, may include prophecy, teaching, exhorting, and leading. Serving gifts include serving when the church is gathered and also in acts of mercy beyond when the church is gathered. So you may think when you come here on a Sunday and we're sitting here and we think, well, I can tell who are the people that sort of lead the meetings and I know the people that can play instruments and sing, but what do I do? I, you know, I'll, I'll just sing along and you know, maybe work up the courage to pray out loud at some point or other. Um, but really, there's not much else for me to do during this couple of hours on a Sunday afternoon when we are gathered together. But the Word of God shows us that also we, we have serving gifts that we use in acts of mercy beyond when the church is gathered. These functions of word and deed are worked out in the body through the proper exercise of individual gifts, not just here, but building ourselves together, growing together as we go along, and finding ways in which we can serve one another, not just within a worship service, but elsewhere during the week. And in Romans 12, Paul shows us how those gifts are to be used. So let me, I'll just repeat it again. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Those with the gift of leadership are to lead with zeal. Those with the gift of mercy who serve on behalf of those in need of some sort 
are to be cheerful in their display of mercy instead of a begrudging sort of spirit. Generosity, zeal, and cheerfulness are the attitudes to characterize these actions. For God cares about our hearts and our motives, not just our external actions. He's concerned about why we do this stuff, not just what we do. So, when you've discovered what your gift is, what your gifts are, then use them passionately for the good of the body of Christ, the local church. You need to be in a local church to be strengthened by the gifts of others and to strengthen others by the use of your gifts. God loves the church and we are to use the gifts he has given us for the good of our brothers and sisters. Now, this, if you're still thinking, you're still with me, this raises two questions. The first one is, how do I identify my gift? I think there's two general ways that that can happen. One is self-examination. You know, um, what do I enjoy doing? Am I good at what I enjoy? What kind of ministry is fulfilling for me? What, what sort of problems do I notice? What opportunities do I notice? So there's, you know, getting to the point where I accept that I'm, I'm, I, must have a, I must have been given gifts to use. I need to find out what they are. So maybe that's one way of finding out. Um, just by examining myself. Mm, I'm just trying to think of it. Well, like for me, I mean, you know, we're all different, aren't we? But I remember um, I, after I'd be... I hadn't put this down to do this, so it'd take a little bit longer. But when, <laughs> when I, um, I'd become a Christian and, um, and I was following in a particular path, if you like, and Julie and I were, were heading in one particular direction in terms of full-time sort of Christian ministry. And um, I worked for about five or six years with a, an evangelistic organisation. And um, we did all sorts of stuff. Most of it I didn't like. Um, you know, like they did sort of door-to-door Knocking, I hated that. Um, when Julie and I were in the Salvation Army, we used to go around the pubs every Friday night selling war, the war crime magazine. I hated that. You know, Julie got on really well doing that. But, so I used to send her into the really rough pubs and I, I went into the, nice, into the lounge and Julie went into the bar. Um, anyway... Um, so, so, it, and so for these five years, I, I worked with doing all sorts of evangelistic things. And this organization recommended that um, I should go to Bible college, and they, 
they encouraged me to do that. So I went to Bible college. And I was only six months into this Bible college being trained to become a better evangelist when I thought, I don't think I'm meant to be an evangelist. I think I'm meant to be a pastor. And when I thought about it, I thought, well, yeah, that's like if we went to work in a particular local church to do an evangelistic sort of project, I loved the training and preparation with the church for that. And I loved the bit afterwards, the follow-up, you know, but I didn't like the bit in the middle. But I mean, I did it. I did it, you know. I mean, I didn't just sort of sit and... Uh, you know, twiddle my thumbs. You know, I did it. I did the preaching, did the talking, did, you know, and singing and all sorts of stuff. But, but I, I just began to see that actually, I know, I know what I'm meant to be doing. I know it's about. I came out of college after two years and and continued to work with this organisation, but eventually um, was invited to pastor a church. But that was. That was quite an important thing to recognize within myself what the way God had wired me, if you like. So self-examination is is important. And experience. You, You need experience to know if you have certain gifts. It's best to try all kinds of things as a way of learning what your spiritual aptitudes are, you know? I mean, we can all do this sort of stuff, can't we? We can do things when, uh, you know, I think like in life groups, you know, at times you, someone will be asked to lead something or do something, and at the end of it, they think, well, I, don't, I don't think that's me, you know? But you can still do it. You know, we can, by experience, we can learn what are the things we, that we feel that we're gifted for. And... If all else fails, ask the other people in the group whether they think you're gifted for it. (laughs) Hopefully they would speak the truth in love. It's best to try all kinds of things, not just to sit around waiting for something to fall out of the sky or something. You know, if there's stuff to be done, get on and do it. Study biblical lists in order to take an inventory and process your experience. The big idea is that your gifts are not about you. They exist for the building of the body of Christ. Oh, we're nearly there. <laughs> okay, page six. You're all right. The second question, so the first question was, how do I know what my gift is? The second one is, should I only do the things I'm particularly gifted for? Uh, in a church where I was before, we used, we used, we imported this. Uh, Dave knows this. We, this sort of um, course that we took everybody through, and you know, you tick boxes, and then you you know do all sorts of stuff. And at the end of the course, it tells you what your spiritual gifts are. Now, this was always a worry to me. I'd been leading churches for the previous thirty years. And when I did this course about four times, you know, because the whole church was doing it, and leadership never came up. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I, think, 
I don't get this. You know, so I concluded that they were just asking me the wrong questions. But, um, but, but the danger with that sort of thing is that people would, would at the end of it say, oh, well, my gift is this. So I don't have to do anything else. I'm only going to do that. And you'd say to somebody, could you, could you set the chairs out on Sunday? I don't think that's my gift. You know, do you think you could you know, bring Mrs. So-and-so to the meeting on Sunday? Well, I don't think... Have you got a car? Yeah, but I still don't think that's my gift, really. I'm not, I'm not into hospitality or whatever. You know, the, things like that. So the answer to the question, should I only do the things I'm particularly gifted for, the simple answer is no. You don't need to limit your service in the church to only those things that you're particularly good at. We shouldn't neglect other aspects of Christian service. Be on the lookout for particular ways to use your spiritual gifts and your practical gifts. But at the same time, don't feel that you can't volunteer for service in a place where you may not be gifted. See it as an act of loving service. Jump in and get involved. So, third motivation, and then I'm done, is being motivated by the return of Christ. And this is a bit odd. I didn't quite know how to do this, but I'm, I'm in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verses 7 to 11. We, I read it earlier. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And then, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God of good as good stewards of God's varied grace. So, there's two things that Peter is predicting here: the world will come to an end. And the end is at hand. That is, the final act of redemptive history is at our doorstep. Christ will return in all his glory. Therefore, think seriously about the things that we've been looking at. We know that the world is going to end. So right, no matter how focused and diligent about these things, with our efforts, however diligent, humanity will not ultimately be able to save the planet. Now, that's not a popular thing to be saying these days, but it's what God says. And the signs are there, I think, but it will end. Of course, we should be careful and responsible in the way we steward what God has created. But it will eventually end. We know this because God has said so. And Peter says here that that event is at hand. It's in God's hands. And he could at any moment bring it to a conclusion. Peter's question here is, how should we live in the light of that fact and with the time we have. 
I, I can remember when, when I became a Christian when I was 17, and I heard somebody talking about, you know, when Jesus, you know, Jesus is going to bring it all to an end, and Jesus is going to come. And I can remember at the age of 17 thinking, well, not yet. I've got a life to live. You know, all that sort of thing. And, and I've heard my, my children as they've grown up saying the same thing. When, we, when we've been saying, you know, Jesus could come any time. And they'd, they'd say, well, not yet. I want to get married. I want to have a family. You know? So we could all do that, couldn't we? But actually, whether Jesus comes again or if he holds off, like for the next 20 years, <laughs> my time is going to run out, you know? And yours will too at some point. The point is, and I think the point that Peter's really making here is don't, you know, don't get all fanatical about when will Jesus come? You know, let's, let's, let's draw up a chart. Let's work out that, you know, how many times I can remember when I was about eight years old sitting in the classroom waiting for the end of the world because it was going to happen at 11 o'clock on that day because the Jehovah's Witnesses said so. And we all sat in our desks. Disappointed, didn't happen. Nothing happened. <laughs> but, you know, and some people do. I mean, they devote so much time to it, don't they? You write books on it and all the rest of it. Okay, that's, that may be interesting, I guess. But the important thing is to recognise that the time is limited for us, either by the coming of Jesus or by the end of our own lives. And I think what Peter's saying is, get on and do what God has equipped you to do. Don't just sit around letting other people do it. So Peter answers his question about how should we live in the light of these things by emphasizing basic Christian living, being self-controlled and sober-minded so that we can engage in effective prayer, earnest love, gracious hospitality, and the exercise of our gifts. All this service and speaking is done by God's strength for God's glory. So he's saying, the end is near. Pray, love one another earnestly, practice hospitality, and serve one another. Just to finish off then, to wind it up, is to say, um, oh, what have I wrote down here? <laughs> Do you believe that Jesus will return? You don't have to answer that. Do you believe that he will reward those who faithfully serve him? Then let that inspire you to serve in the local church. You don't need an official position to serve. You don't have to, be, you know, you don't have, to have a badge. I mean, it's nice to have bands. It's nice to see who are the people that are welcoming and the rest of the people that aren't. You know, it's, it, it's nice to know that. But you don't have to be... You don't have to have an official uh, position to serve. And don't limit your service to those things that are convenient, exciting, or likely to be noticed by other people. Serve out of love for Christ and his people, even if that service seems mundane or trivial. When you see Christ and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, 
you'll be glad that you took notice of what I've said to you this afternoon. So I just want to finish with just a few tips. First of all, dwell on gospel truths to give you a regular motivation. Just read the word of God. To fail to give ourselves in complete obedience to God is not only offensive morally, it's also a failure to think clearly. Let him renew your thinking. Change your orientation. The second thing is, remember that discipleship involves more than just knowing things. You know, reading lots of books, listening to lots of sermons. It's more than just knowing things. It involves living out biblical truth. Use the preaching of the word to cultivate a heart for service. The things that, you know, come with an attitude of, God, what are you going to show me today that I can actually put into practice? Are you teaching me something about what I need to do? How can I bless others with what I'm learning? How can I do that? And even things like breaking of bread every week, we, we do this practically every week. Let that stimulate you, you know, by the mercies of God. Present your body as a living sacrifice to him. Be a servant, not a critic. Choose a different path to being critical. Humbly seize opportunities to serve Jesus and his people, even if your service seems small and insignificant. Be welcoming and hospitable. That's part of the reason we stayed coming to this church, was when we came, we were made so welcome. It's a gift. It can make a difference. Stay in touch with volunteer needs. So pay attention to notices and emails that come out to you saying, we need some people to do this. The reason that that's been sent to you is because you're asked to consider that that might be you. You know, it's not just, oh, that's interesting that they're, you know, it's, it's meant to be, you know, look out for those volunteer opportunities, pay attention to notices, and ask the leaders of the church where the particular needs are. Is there something that I can do? And pray, of course. Okay, let's pray together now. Father, we're so grateful to you that you have brought us into your family. We're so grateful for what you have done for us through sending your son to be our saviour. We thank you, Lord, that we have been... We have been washed. We have been flooded with mercy. Lord, you, you've done such good things for us. You've, Lord, you've been kind to us where we didn't deserve to be kind. You've been generous to us beyond measure. And we want to say thank you for that. And we want to be able to say, Lord, take my life. And let it be consecrated, Lord, to you, to your service. Lord. Let, let my every day, Lord, be of some use to you, Lord, within, and within the body of Christ, Lord, 
Show me how I can serve you. What what can I do, Lord, that somehow is my reasonable response to what you have done for me? I pray that for each one of us, Father. And Lord, where we're at this point, maybe not, not quite knowing what you've gifted me to do, I pray, Lord, that you will show us what, 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 you, what you want us to be doing. How can we be a servant of yours and a servant to our brothers and sisters? So we ask you for this guidance in our lives, Lord, for your glory, for the glory of your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.